Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We meet every Sunday exploring the practical, transforming, and relevant teaching of the Bible by doing life together. Visit our website at crosspointonline.org to learn more. Now, get ready for a powerful message from God's Word. Father God, thank you so much for this day and the opportunity that we have to to gather. Uh, It's a privilege uh, that is easy to take for granted. But this is your day. Every day is your day, but this is the Sabbath day to where we rest from our labors, rest from our efforts, and we just come and we sit at your feet. Father, we just ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit, the limitless power of your word, that you would do a mighty work in each of our individual hearts today and in us collectively so that you would be glorified and so that, Lord, that we would truly experience that for which you've created us. We offer ourselves, we dedicate ourselves, we surrender ourselves to you humbly in this hour so that your kingdom would come and your will be done right here on earth, right here in my life in a very tangible way for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're continuing this series uh, entitled Real Faith for Rough Times. Real faith for rough times. Now, as we come into chapter 5, really, rough times is really the major theme of chapter 5. People are being used by other people, and so that's rough. I don't know if you like it or not, but do you like being used by other people? Uh, Do do you like being oppressed by other people? Well, people are being used. Uh, uh, People are not getting fair pay. Uh, Some people are, you know, have been uh, just really uh, desensitized to the needs of other people because remember, as we're looking at the book of James, he's describing two worldviews. He's describing uh, godly wisdom and he's describing worldly wisdom. The godly wisdom is that which is humbly coming and trusting in God. Worldly wisdom is all about me, it's self, it's arrogant self-indulgence, self-directed, self-led, all about me kind of lifestyles. And yet we pepper a little bit of the religion and God stuff in it. And then yet our lives are still self-absorbed, self-directed. So he's talking about these two radical different lifestyles. And so as we come into this uh, particular uh, chapter, he's talking about how, well, obviously, uh, self-directed living has resulted in some of this stuff. People being used uh, and and um, people not being treated fairly, uh, a lot of sickness. Uh, and uh, ultimately, there's just spiritual apathy that he talks about. And people that were in coming to the faith now are just wandering from the faith. So we're talking about some rough times. So I don't know what your week or month or, you know, last six months have been like, but the book of James uh, has something to say to you in a very practical and relevant way. So what he's pointing out is that people with real faith turn humbly to God and place their trust in him during rough times. Their lives are guided by God's word, the principles of God's word. Uh, But people whose faith is not real, who have a profession of faith, but not a true possession of faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Well, they just keep trusting in themselves. They live by worldly wisdom uh, and the values of this world. uh, And they continue to look to the things of this world to comfort them or help them or sustain them. Their trust and security is in the things of this world. And while most, many if not most, Christians uh, would say, well, you know, that's not me. I trust totally in God. We need to look at our actions. And that's what James is saying. We need to look at our lifestyles and just ask God, God, reveal the truth about any way that I am reflecting world think 
in any way that I am living with my trust and faith in the things of this world rather than the things of you. So uh, there's a quick word of caution I want to give to you as we get into it. Don't check out on me as we begin to read this and don't jump to conclusions. We have this innate ability to uh, get our definition of things and, uh, and then we just, you know, we run with it. And uh, so, you know, it's like the word love. I love you. Well, you know, and there's so many variations of that. Well, he's going to talk about being rich. And then, um, uh, you know, we, so, you know, we've got our opinion about where we are and, and that they'll, don't check out, don't jump to conclusions. Let God's word give the uh, proper definition of what he's wanting to reveal to us today. Jesus made it clear that God is always at his work. Never stops. God is at work today, this morning, January 31st, one week before the Super Bowl. God is at work today, and he wants to work. He wants to work in your life and my life. I was driving back from my daddy care time last night, and, and uh, you know, I was just kind of thinking, and then, you know, when I'm coming back these days, I'm barn sour. You know what the barn sour is? Uh, whenever you would ride a horse out of a barn and, you know, begin then turn around, if that horse took off back to the barn, you know, regardless of what you wanted, that meant that horse was ready to get back to the barn. He's barn sour, and, and it really disrupts the ride. Um, well, I'm a little bit barn sour these days when I'm coming back. That means I want to get back. And, you know, I, confession's good for the soul. Some of it is, you know, I want to see Felicia and I want to see my kids. But I really, really, really want to see Micah. Uh-huh. You know, I really, really want to see her. So here, here, here's my point on this. God really, really wants to do a work in your life. Really? It's not like, well, this would be nice. He really wants to do a work in your life, my life, the church in America uh, today. So let's pray and ask that he does it. Father God, we do ask that your living word speak to us today in a profound way. We pray, Lord, that we would be humble before you. And receive that which you lovingly revealed to us. And we pray that we would make adjustments. Whatever it is that you're asking us to do today for your glory, our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now uh, turn, if you would, in your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Uh, here we are, we are making some progress, the last chapter of this series, Real Faith for Rough Times. And we're going to begin looking here at verse 1 and read through verse 6. So read along with me, if you would. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this sobering warning uh, that's not only relevant here to the hearers of uh, those early Christians in uh, Jerusalem and, and the area in Palestine, but also to us today. God, use your word. Now, Let's uh, back up just a little bit. And uh, I said, don't jump to conclusions. Don't try to define things. He, he jumps right off in there and saying, you know, hey, rich people, rich people. And then he has something to say to them. Now, what our tendency would be to say, <laughs> like me, I'm not rich. 
You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not rich. And so this really doesn't have so much to say to me. But here's God's defini- definition of rich. Now, we got to look at whether we're living by worldly wisdom or godly wisdom. God's definition of rich is having enough. That means having food to eat, uh, having, you know, a little uh, roof over our heads, some means to transportation, and clothes to wear. And that's God's definition of rich. So before we count ourselves out on this, then uh, we, uh, we need to hear what God says. So, you know, I, my problem, my problem is, you know, in growing up is that I've lived primarily a lot of my life by Americans' definition. You know, and so if I look at America, I'm going, well, I, I, I'm not rich, but I actually, you know, in America right now, I would be considered rich. So in, in James' day, the vast majority of the people there were poor. That means they didn't have enough. It was a day-to-day grind. But there were some Christian believers who were like landowners and, and uh, uh, business owners, and, and they had fallen in to this trap of loving things and using people. They began to live for this world instead of living for God. And it was all about that. So bottom line, as we come to this today, most of us, most of us, the vast, vast majority of us here in this room, here uh, on Zoom, on Facebook Live, we are rich. We are rich. So I need you to say it with me. Let me just, let me just hear you be honest this morning. Be honest. So on three, let's say it. I am rich. One, two, three. I am rich. Okay. You hated doing that, didn't you? Because like, oh, you know, I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm going to agree with God. I'm rich. And so as we come to this, uh, we're just embracing that. That okay, let's let's look at this reality and uh, see what God has to say. Now, first thing we, that we need to know is that God is not condemning wealth and riches. He's not condemning wealth and riches. I mean, matter of fact, we know some of the great men of faith were very, very wealthy. Abraham, who was so wealthy, but through his wealth, he blessed the entire world. David and Moses, and you can, you can continue to see, and even in the New Testament, you know, where there were many, it did not disqualify them from a vital, living, real faith in, in Jesus Christ and in God. He's not condemning wealth. He's not condemning riches. But what he is condemning is this aspect of being driven by uh, this desire or, or letting our life be ruled by wanting to be rich. He's really condemning this love of being rich. And... It's our actions and our attitudes with what we have that show whether we're living with real faith or our faith is just a profession but not a possession of faith. So, wow, this is, uh, this is kind of in your face. You know, as I, was thinking about, as I was thinking about that, what he's really talking about, there's a passage in Psalm uh, 30, uh, excuse me, Psalm 63, some of you would know it. It says, you know, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. So the question is, is what, if, what if we change that word to see what our practical outliving is? Oh, riches, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. What does my time, effort, energy, and resources say about God. So there's David saying, God, you're my God. I'm rich, but you're my, I'm thirsting for you. I'm, I'm checking, I'm checking your word multiple times a day. I'm not checking the uh, the stock market multiple times. I'm checking your word multiple times a day. You know, so really these are some of the underlying, like, 
honestly, how often do I look at how the stock market's doing? In comparison, how often do I, whenever I'm confronted with an issue or a problem or a relationship or something, am I checking with God's word to see what God's interest is? Um, These rich people that, that James is talking to in this particular passage had a problem. Their problem was material self indulgence. Material self, it was all about them. And, you know, it, again, they were obviously going to church, but they had a problem. Uh, there was this uh, arrogant, self uh, indulgent, self led life living for the world that is passing instead of being invested in the world that's coming. He says there that they hoarded and misused the resources they had. He also gets on them and he goes even deeper and he says, you acquired these in in ways that rejected God's principles, that did not show value for God's people, which is every person that is valuable to God. And you hurt people. And instead of loving things and using uh, and loving people and using things, you've loved this stuff and yourself to the expense of other people. And it's very sinful. It's very disruptive. It's uh, very destructive to the church fellowship. He's saying there are some of you, there's some of you rich people that, and he goes on to describe it there in, in this particular passage. Look with me again. He says, uh, <clears throat> he says uh, in, verse, um, in verse 4, he says, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. There's some dishonest ways. And, and, and ways that have devalued people in which you've obtained your wealth. And, and you've just said, that's the good old Jerusalem way. Or we could just say, well, that's just the American way. And God says, I want my way to govern every decision that you make. The way that you treat people. The way that you respond. And, and what it is that um, you... Um, really glory in. Uh, Godly wisdom says wealth enables us to avoid misery and enhances comfort. uh, comfort. Uh, Worldly wisdom says wealth enables me to kind of avoid some misery. It can enhance comfort and, 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 and give me some security. You know, what's sad is that just 10 years after the writing of James, Jerusalem fell. All of that Hoarded up resources was gone. We don't know what tomorrow brings. That's what James was saying to us earlier in chapter four. We don't know. Godly wisdom says, well, listen, security, comfort, that comes from God. That's come, that's my trust is in God. Uh, we're going to look at a passage in just a little bit that just kind of just drives that home to where, where our trust is. So as we're coming into this today, and as I was looking at this, I mean, the, the, there was a lot of conviction and it's like, man, there's just so much of this Kool-Aid, the, the, the culture. God bless America. Thank you. The greatest nation. Thank you so much for your blessings on America. But any good thing we can use for bad. The blessings, you know, we can use in a self-indulgent kind of way. And the reality, there is a compulsion. And I'm just speaking for America. There's a compulsion in America to acquire and accumulate. Uh, It's been referred to as material inebriation. (laughs) We're just drunk on stuff. And as a result, whenever, whenever our attention gets turned to the things of this world, to possessions and riches and acquiring and this kind of comfort and trying to protect ourselves, 
uh, there's a downward spiral that he speaks of in this that comes from loving riches and wealth that comes from this arrogant, self-indulgent life. And it's this, we just, we forget God. It's what we talked about last week. We, we, we ignore the things of God. We begin to get, we begin to, to get our uh, info and intel from the world out there. Well, this is a better business practice. You can make more money if you do this. Hey, let's check all of that against what God has to say. He is, he is very, very detailed on principles. And if, and if you've never taken, you know, like a, 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 a Peace University, you know, financial, godly financial deal, then uh, and if enough of you say you'd like to do that, we'll do it. We'll, we'll do it. But getting what God has to say on how we handle our resources and our wealth. Uh, but we, we just forget God. We just start getting our lead from the world rather than from God's word. And then we begin to hoard wealth because it just seems like the thing to do. And we use people. So once that happens, we forget God, we begin to hoard wealth. Why? Because we're, we're needing this and we're living more for the land that's dying than the land that's, that's, that's coming. The land of the dying rather than the land of the living. And then if we hoard wealth, we begin to use people. And then after we use people, the next step is we live extravagantly and then he says that last step is judgment. Judgment. You go, I don't want to be judged. Well, what, it, what we're going to see here is the amazing thing is that it's not just the judgment of God. It's the judgment that we bring on ourselves as a result. So really, this is a gut check. This is a gut check uh, passage um, that I've prayed that during this week that God would just give us the freedom and the humility to embrace what it is that he's wanting to teach us and to reveal to us uh, through, through this particular passage. So let's look at it a little bit. So um, number one, he's saying that uh, there, there's a problem, and the problem is especially when times get tight, when times get difficult, uh, we have this tendency to forget God or ignore God, and we look to things out there. We look to relationships. We put our hope in things that God never intended to sustain us. A bigger bank account, a bigger this, more resources, a better house, more comfort, whatever the case is. And he's going, that's self-indulgent living. That's not a child of mine living with real faith. Now, again, he is not preaching against wealth. He's not preaching against riches. Uh, and yet what he is saying is don't place your faith in this term financial security because there's no such thing as financial security. There's financial health. And he teaches us how to live good stewardship lives, you know, through, through his word. But we can have a false sense of security in the things of this world. And it's very easy to do. I remember the missionary, uh, uh, that, that came to America from, you know, a third world country and was over here being blessed. And then, and after a while they said, man, I need to get back home because uh, you have too much in America to where I don't need God. There's certainly that tendency. There's a reason that we are here, that God, uh, that we are here during this time as children of God. But blessings... When God blesses us, is to enable us to be a blessing uh, for others. So again, if we're if we're uh, kind of taking uh, some shortcuts and not spending our time with God and not coming and, and submitting and humbling ourselves before God, then we we just ignoring Him. We're forgetting God, and and then we're we begin to just automatically begin to pile up stuff. We ho we hoard. Now, in, in this day, what James is talking about, he's, he, there was three kinds of different wealth in James's day. And, you know, there was grain, you know, and there was clothing and there was, you know, silver and gold and stuff like that. And so he's referring to that. Well, we have a myriad of ways of, of, of hoarding wealth today. And it just, it just seems like the thing to do. Now, I will tell you this, the growing up on a farm, uh, you couldn't get things. I mean, it, it was... It wasn't like, oh, if you need something, you can just go to the store and get it. I mean, there were no stores close by. So 
we kind of de developed this habit of hoarding. Uh, I mean, if anything broke, we kept it because we might need a piece off of that part that's broke in order to use. Now, there's some wisdom in that. But we can fall into a trap of that just becoming our lifestyle without depending on God and praying about it. You know, and so it's like, God, you know, God was going, yeah, you're, you're reflecting. You're, you're, you're reflecting, Mike, this aspect of being conformed to the world rather than being transformed. So there's a balance. And the only way that I can come to, to know the truth in my life in that circumstance is see God. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but through prayer and supplication, make a request known to God. So uh, what he's just saying here in this particular passage is that God doesn't want his wealth stockpiled. He has blessed us for a reason. And um, you save money, yes. Matter of fact, the Bible, you know, you're going, I thought we we're supposed to save. Yes, we're supposed to save money. Even the Bible talks about that. Let me give you a couple of passages you can write down uh, just so, so that we're clear on this. Um, 2 Corinthians 12, 14. Um, 1 Timothy 5, 8. Matthew 25, 27, and then you can go to, but these are all just principles and truths from God's word that it's, he's not saying don't save. He's not saying that, but there's a difference and only God can reveal to us from his definition what the difference is and, and how he would have us respond. So it goes from, you know, once we begin to hoard that, then all of a sudden it begins to take more and more possession of us, and then we begin to use people. And, you know, and I can, and I felt convicted under this. I mean, because again, my daddy taught me to be frugal and a good steward. Frugal and a good steward. And we took a lot of delight in and always looking for a good deal. I mean, and then we would go, look at this, look how much I got this far, you know. And, and just, just bragging, just, oh my goodness, I got a great deal on this. Now that's good. But at the same time, you know, taking pleasure, how much pleasure do I take in being a good deal? Um, boy, let me just, let me tell you, come here, I couldn't wait. Let me tell you, I had the opportunity today, I went in to buy this thing right there, and, and uh, that guy told me about that, you know, his, his child just went in the hospital and this and this and this and this. I paid him twice as much as he asked. I was able to be a blessing because God has blessed me. I, I, went, in, I, went, into the, I went into the restaurant that I would love so much and, 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 and my, uh, my waitress was just kind of rude and kind of distant and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, in my haughtiness, I was going, you, I'm not giving you a good tip. But then I, I, I asked a question. I found out that her child just went into um, ICU. And I was able to bless her. How much of my life has been ruled by arrogant, self-indulgent, all about me lifestyle? Mm. We just arrogantly go and we're for ignoring God. We're just not looking. We're not intensive, intensively looking into God. God, what do you have to say about this? What, what do you have to say about paying people? Matter of fact, you know, he talks in there about, you know, because there's some people, you know, and that day, because it was day to day, it says, it was saying, don't you dare hold their wages overnight. You give it to them at the end of the day. God is always other-minded in this. He's very practical. I'm not saying we take that and do it today. Yeah, if, if you paid me every day, I, I'd probably lose it because I'm, you know, I'm crazy half the time. You know, but it's seeking God and His leadership, being intensive and intentional uh, about doing that. Just not spending time there. Then we begin to hoard wealth, and then we use people uh, instead of bless them, and, and then we begin to live extravagantly. We're just extravagantly. And we're letting the world be our God. 
We're letting our culture be our God rather than God be our God. And what he says in this particular passage is, you know, that it, once, we, once it begins to slip into that, um, you know, we, we, um, it, it, it gets a hold to us. It gets a hold to us. Some of the practical applications on this is, and, and that's just some of the war and, and our politics and all that kind of stuff is, you know, he, he knew that at that particular day that rich people had a lot more political power than the poor people. The poor people couldn't, you know, they couldn't fight back. And so they could get laws changed that would enhance their luxurious and extravagant self absorbed lifestyles and, and justify it. You know, sadly enough, you know, this is one of the, I mean, this, in America, I mean, you know, we, we want justice, on, but in America, we, we've seen that happen. You know, you know um, after the Civil War, you know, and the, um, the, the, the freedom, you know, of source slavery. You know, there was down, there was down in, in, in some, some of our states that it's like, well, there's so much, there was so much pushback, you know, about that call. Boy, you know, number one, we kind of got real fuzzy about what true, you know, a life and human and, you know, all this stuff is. And we'd kind of, would kind of muddy the waters and stuff like that. But, but all of a sudden, um, it's like, okay, you, you can't, you can't own, you can't own slaves. And we're worried about the economics and all that kind of stuff. So, well, there's some ways to be on, underhanded a bit. And so made some laws, made some laws where it was illegal to be without a job. It was illegal to be without a job. Ooh, that's smart. And then guess what? So, People weren't, people they, at that time, they weren't wanting to hire, you know, blacks. And so, well, they just went to jail. Well, then they worked it out with all the municipalities and all that kind of stuff to get this labor. And they didn't really care about the health of them at that particular point because they weren't theirs. And that's, you go, I'm not killing anybody. I'm not, but a lot of those people, because they were being abused, died early deaths. And look what he says right here. He goes, Look, the wages you fail to pay the workmen who mowed your fields crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, and you have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. And if we're not, if we're not, you know, again, just seeking God, God, let your word and, and your spirit guide me, we're, we can tip over to just, it's all about me and about this lifestyle being the God of our lives. Some of the judgment that he's talking about here again is he's saying, you, you, you're just fattening yourselves. Um, uh, and it's just going to eat you from the inside out. And we've seen so many, so many uh, people um, experience that, the overabundance, if it's not humbly um, given to God. So what does he say do? Now, in, in this particular passage, it's going like, well, Lord, what do I do with this? Well, you know, what, what, what do I do with this? Does this have any application whatsoever to me? I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And let's look at some practical applications of what God may be saying to us. Now in chapter 6, y'all got it, Zoomers? Beginning with verse 3, he's talking about the love of money. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. 
He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, uh, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Do you know that there are folks who think that this godliness and the Christianity, we can, you can use that to get more? Be careful. Be careful. If you have a business and say Christian brothers, because you're going to be a testimony to God on high. Make sure it's giving God the glory and it's treating people as God would treat them. Verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can what? Take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. All right. If we have food and clothing, we will be content. Well, what? Why, why am I so discontent? Why am I so obsessed with a new car, with more, with a bigger house, with a bigger retirement fund? How many times do I check to see how my retirement's doing? How many times do I check to see my, how my neighbor's doing? I mean, again, there, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, but there are adjustments that we can make. See, the problem is, is when we get all of this stuff and we're doing exactly what James is saying, we are desensitized to the needs of others around us. But why? Because it's all about me. And no, 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 I know I help somebody every now and then. No. That's so I can pat myself on the back. Justify myself. The Bible says, Ye are they who justify yourselves among men. That which is highly esteemed among man is abomination to God. We become desensitized to the needs of others. We become demanding. Verse 9, people who want to get rich fall into the temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. And that's what he's, he's talking about. This is the, the judgment. Some of the judgments coming is the judgment that we bring on ourselves. We plunge ourselves into that. How many homes have been destroyed? How many families have been destroyed because of the love of money? How many churches? How many communities? How? It's destructive. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. There it is again. God just leaves the natural consequences of this being absorbed with the things of this world to where we just pierce ourselves. Jesus, what do we do? What do I do with this? I'm, I'm just a, just a law-abiding citizen and Love, yeah, I'm a follower of yours, Jesus. What, you know, what do I do with this? Go down to verse 17. What Paul says to Timothy. Now he's speaking to most of us. Command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God 
who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Lord, I'm rich. And you're reminding me not to be arrogant, but to be humble. To live my life realizing that what I have is not mine, it's yours. (laughs) You've blessed me so that I can be a blessing. You want me to be a good stewardship? You're not telling me not to invest or anything. You're not, he's not saying that. He's saying invest. Matter of fact, even Jesus, when he was talking in the parable of our talents, he goes, my gosh, if you aren't going to go out there and really make some good money, you could at least put it in the bank, got a little interest off of it. See, sometimes what we try to do is throw the baby out with the bathwater. No, 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 no. Hear what God is saying. Verse 18. Command them who? those of us who are rich, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You want life that's truly life? This is what he's saying. Here's here's the bottom line. Choose which world you're going to invest in. In the land that is dying or in the land that is living forever. In this way, they will take hold of the life that is truly Life. There's a couple things that he's he's speaking of right here um, that could be just practical takeaways for me and you as as, as we walk away from this. Um, Number one, he just said, do good. And and that is just invest in in, in the world that that lasts. the Bible says in Matthew 6, Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. So we're going to be ruled, led, driven by one or the other. You know, this self-directed, culture-directed life or God-directed, God-led life. So I can invest in the world that lasts. And the way I do that is by investing time daily with God Get to know him better, love him more. That's good. You say that's good? He said, do good. Spending time with my maker, my master, do good. And I can serve others radically. What does he say there? I love what he says there. He says, be rich in good deeds. Don't just, here, here's a little... Be rich in good deeds. Lavish good deeds. That means I am sensitive to, I'm not desensitized, I'm sensitive to the needs of others. I'm sensitive to even those that oppose me. I'm sensitive to some people that feel like they're an enemy. Why? Because I've got God's heart in this because He gives me the love. He gives me the love to love others. Am I spending sufficient time with God before He can just lavish His love on me and I can just feel that love and then that love's coming out and be rich in good deeds? I was telling uh, Micah's going to become just, just a pincushion of illustrations. Sorry about that. But um, I was telling my sister uh, the, the other day, I was going, these days, uh, every time I see little Micah, you know, I've, uh, Michelle calls it now the Micah face. Is Michelle on there? I, I mean, I, hi, what's up? And so the first thing she does when she sees me is she, I mean, she mimics me. She's smiling. Am I telling the truth? If I'm lying, I'm dying. That's what, that's what, what says the fertilizer salesman used to be. Just, I mean, she just, ah. And, and I got to thinking about that, you know, but you, you know why that is? You know why she does that for me? 
It's not because I'm so special. I mean, you could put a lot of people in front of her and she wouldn't act that way. But as you know what? That's what I do for her every single time. I, I just make a big to-do over her every single time. I don't care if she got poop on her. I don't care. She, she loves me because I first loved her. That's the only reason. Get in front of Jesus every day. Get in front of Jesus every day and let him love on you. And you will love him because he first loved you. You're not smiling at life. You're not going through life with mouth wide open joy. I beg you to get with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Because he is the way, truth, and life. He is joy. He doesn't just give you. He is that. God, forgive us for ignoring you and trying to do the Christian thing. So practically, that's one thing to do. Redirect your focus. Redirect your focus. Redirect your focus. Get with Jesus. Get, get with Jesus. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, aim at and seek treasures that are above and set your minds and keep them set on what is above, the higher things, not on the things that are on the earth. Two, adjust your lifestyle. Adjust your lifestyle. 1 Corinthians 7, 30 says, Those who buy something should live as though it weren't theirs. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. Y'all check me whenever I'm just bragging on the good deal I got. Ask me about the good deed I did. Not to justify myself. He says, do good. Be rich in good deeds. And then he says, live for, the, live for the world that's coming. Live for the world. Stop living for this world. And be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. God gave grace. God has mercy on me. He gave grace not because I deserve it. And there will be people that we encounter that don't deserve it. What are we going to do? Get all I can. Can, can all I get, use what I want, sit on the rest. And God says, well, money talks. Money does talk. Now, for a lot of us, it says, all it's ever said is bye-bye. But what he's saying is, money talks. What's it going to say about you What's it going to say about you, me, at judgment? We may need to adjust our lifestyles to where we can live within our means. And when, you know, as Christians, when we can't pay our bills, I mean, that's just a derivative of don't steal. You know, let God's word be God's word and just live by it. And we'll live our mouths with wide open joy. Okay, practical, last practical application. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Uh, for some of you, it's uh, us, it's just repent. Just say, Lord, I have been guilty of this. Thank you for shining your light. I humbly yield my life and my resources to you as a follower of yours.
I regret that my life has reflected more of this culture than it has of your glory. And I want to, I want, I want to live from this day forward, guided by and ruled by not this culture, but by your living word and your Holy Spirit. Some of you, it may be, it may go all the way back to there's been a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but your life, your attitude <laughs> is revealed that your complete trust has been still in you and in this, you're living for this world. Your faith and trust is not in him. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. And Jesus has never, never covered your sins or given you eternal life. You've gone through the motions and you, 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 you've changed some habits, but you don't know him. And there's rough times. Life is rough. Has now revealed the truth that it was just a profession, not a possession. And today he's knocking on your heart stone. He says, let me in. I can get through. I can get all that through all that religiosity. I can make it all the way through churchanity. I can make it through all those years of pious pride. And I can be your savior that is eager, eager to come into your life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your, your, your love for us. Thank you that you don't just leave us in our stupor, but that you, your, your desire is that we know you intimately and personally. And for some right now, I pray that as a result of the Holy Spirit revealing to you your need to, to come to faith in Jesus Christ, that today, right now, you just say, Jesus, Lord, I, just, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I need you as my Savior. I've had all these robes and titles of church entity and Christianity, but I don't know you and I want to know you and I open my life. I surrender my life to you right now and I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me and to give me your life. And if, you, if that was your prayer today, I welcome you to God's family. For other, us as Christians here, Lord, the, the, the response is just to, to repent. Lord God, forgive us. There's so much yolk from this world that, that we've accumulated. It's just all over us, and, and it's kept us from just being the joy-filled, life-filled followers of yours that are true salt and light in a culture that desperately needs you. Lord, purify your church, sanctify us so that your glory may be revealed. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at CCC Roswell. Learn more and find ways to get plugged in at Crosspoint by visiting our website, crosspointonline.org. There, you could drop us a line or submit a prayer request. Like what you hear? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next week.